So good morning. We are at the end of Hebrews. So uh, for our guests who are here today, um, uh, I take the class through a book of the Bible as a series, and we always kind of start with the beginning of a book and go to the end. Uh, this is the last week of Hebrews. So over the past several weeks, we've been going through you know one or two chapters a week of the book of Hebrews and the New Testament. <clears throat> and today we're going to finish it off. And it's kind of funny because I was actually having a conversation uh, uh, last week about how this class works. Now, uh, yes, I study a lot for this class. And just so you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm a student of Greek. Uh, I, I study the Greek, ancient Greek language. Why? Because the New Testament was written in Greek. And because all of the authors of the New Testament uh, were trying to express themselves through Greek. So I feel that it's, it's important for me, not everyone, just myself, to understand that language so I can read it directly from the source and understand what the author is getting at. <clears throat> I write a lot of notes. This is, I'm weird. I don't know what's wrong with, look at this. I can't even read my notes, so what, why am I writing them? Uh, study the Bible. I, I get up at 5 o'clock every morning, and I study uh, for at least an hour. Uh, <clears throat> I study on the weekends. I was reading. I fell asleep to reading the Greek New Testament last night. That's, that's how exciting it is, yeah. maybe. Um, why, not, why do I do this? It. You're not selling very much. <laughs> well, that's, that's it. Um, <clears throat> it's funny because I, I don't often have a plan when I come in here, and it's funny how I feel the Holy Spirit leads me um, to teach this class. And th maybe this is an you know, insurance or assurance for you. I don't have a master plan to twist and manipulate people, right? I, I literally, I, I do a lot of studying. And so the morning of, on, on Sunday morning, you know, here, here you can see how the sausage is made. I get up a little earlier probably than I should. Uh, and, and I just look at the passage again, because I know what I'm going to talk. I, I know what passage I'm going to do. You know, all week I'm thinking I'm going to do Hebrews, probably 12 and 13, finish it up. The morning of, I go and I open my notes, and I look at my notes, and I look at the text, and I do a little bit of Googling, and you know, looking at some of the resources that I have. And if you've, if you've been to our house, you know we have books piled everywhere, so I've, I've kind of got a, a pretty vast library of, of resources. And I, just, I, I really just don't even have a plan when I come into this class. And I know that might sound weird, because I come in and I start writing all these numbers. Well, literally, this kind of happens right when I get here. <laughs> and I look at the text, and I think... I, this is the Holy Spirit. This is what I'm getting at here. This is totally the Holy Spirit. I feel that, and I've had times in the past when um, <clears throat> either certain people have been here or certain topics have arisen in the church, and it's very interesting. There are no coincidences. There are no coincidences that I am urged to speak about a certain topic in a certain way, and that's what happens. I feel that's a good way to do this class. I, I don't like to prepare, and I've, I've actually told people that when I have to do public speaking, and I do it quite often, uh, either at work or church or what have you, if I write my notes and I have a, a, a script, it goes horribly wrong. I can't memorize a script. I can't have a very detailed outline because I get thrown off thinking I'm, I'm off track. It's really good if I just ad-lib it. And that's what this class is to some extent. I ad-lib it, but the Holy Spirit is, is guiding and directing me. So maybe you didn't care about all that. I don't know. It kind of explains you know, how this, this whole thing works. But I was, I was getting up this morning and thinking, I really don't have a plan for this class today. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the text, and we've got two chapters to read. So it's, it's not a lot of text, but um, it's, it's a really good kind of you know, wrap up and send off of Hebrews to kind of, you know, what's next, talk about that. <clears throat> There's a lot of good stuff here, though. And so what I think we're going to do today is we're going to go through the text. We're going to read it. Um, I do ask for volunteers. Don't feel pressured. You don't have to if you don't want to. But... Um, we, we read the text and then we, we comment on it. So I think what we're going to do today is we're going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about the things I think are important here. I don't know that it's a whole hour's worth. 
And then this is your class. This is, this is your day. And I think sky's the limit. Uh, this, is, this is kind of open mic time. I know we've talked about a lot in Hebrews, and last week was super heavy, super heavy. Um, and so today it's just kind of a, you know, we're going to chill, lightweight, uh, no pressure. You know, any and all questions are welcome, and this is a safe place, as I tell people, that uh, you're in the presence of Christian brothers and sisters who love you and know that you're probably struggling with the same things that they're struggling with. So there's no weird questions. There's no bad questions. So with that being said, I think what we're going to do is just jump right in. And so I would like to ask for a volunteer first to read Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll read the whole thing, which is 1 to 29. Who would like to do that for me? I can do that. We are surrounded by a great cloud of people whose lives tell us what faith means. So let us run the race that is before us and never give up. We should remove from our lives anything that would get in the way and the sin that so easily holds us back. Let us look only to Jesus, the one who began our faith and who makes makes it perfect. He suffered death on the cross, but he accepted the shame as if it were nothing because of the joy that God put before him. And now he is sitting at the right side of God's throne. Think about Jesus' example. He held on while wicked people were doing evil things to him. So do not get tired and stop trying. You are struggling against sin, but your struggles have not yet caused you to be killed. You have forgotten the encouraging words that call you his children. My child, don't think the Lord's discipline is worth nothing. And don't stop trying when he corrects you. The Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as his child. So hold on through your sufferings, because they are like a father's discipline. God is treating you as children. All children are disciplined by their fathers. If you are never disciplined, and every child must be disciplined, you are not true children. We have all had fathers here on earth who disciplined us, and we respected them. So it is even more important that we accept discipline from the father of our spirits so we will have life. Our fathers on earth disciplined us for a short time in the way that they thought best. But God disciplines us to help us so we may become holy as he is. We do not enjoy being disciplined. It is painful at the time, but later, after we have learned from it, we have peace because we start living in the right way. You have become weak, so make yourself strong again. Keep on the right path so the weak will not stumble, but rather be strengthened. Try to live in peace with all people and try to live free of sin. Anyone whose life is not holy will never see the Lord. Be careful that no one fails to receive God's grace and begins to cause trouble among you. A person like that can ruin many of you. Be careful that no one takes part in sexual sin or is like Esau and never thinks about God. As the oldest son, Esau would have received everything from his father, but he sold all that for a single meal. You remember that after Esau did this, he wanted to get his father's blessing, but his father refused. Esau could find no way to change what he had done, even though he wanted the blessing so much that he cried. You, do, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and is burning with fire. You have not come to darkness, sadness, and storms. You have not come to the noise of a trumpet or to the sound of a voice like the one the people of Israel heard and begged not to hear another word. They did not want to hear the command. If anything, even an animal touches the mountain, it must be put to death with stones. What they saw was so terrible that Moses said, I am shaking with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands of angels gathered together with joy. You have come to the meeting of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all people, and to the spirits of good people who have been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who brought the new agreement from God to his people, and you have come to the sprinkled blood that has a better message than the blood of Abel. So be careful, and do not refuse to listen when God speaks. 
Others refused to listen to him when he warned them on earth, and they did not escape. So it will be worse for us if we refuse to listen to God who warns us from heaven. When he spoke before, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once again I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once again, clearly shows us that everything that was made, things that can be shaken, will be destroyed. So only the things that cannot be shaken will remain. So let us be thankful, because we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We shall worship God in a way that pleases him with respect and fear, because our God is like a fire that burns things up. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Pause for a minute there. There's a lot of stuff in there. Um, So the questions I I encourage this class to ask are those that will help you to fish for yourself. Now, um, it's great that you're here, and the fact that you're here means you are interested in learning more about the Word of God. Um, What I like to encourage people to do is, like Peter, fish for himself, right? Um, If I teach a man to fish or a woman to fish, in this case, if I teach you to examine the text critically with a critical eye to understand what is going on here, you can now take up the mantle of what I'm trying to do and do it for yourself to some degree. Um, It's still important, and and I emphasize this, critically important, you're in a Bible study. This is a Bible study. Um, If you're in another Bible study, awesome. Uh, I consider a personal Bible study to be good, but I also very much encourage people to be in a corporate Bible study, meaning with other believers, usually led by a person who knows what they're talking about, uh, typically an elder or a leader in the church or a Bible study leader, even a pastor, because the Word of God, it's not about the Bible. It's not about the, the words written in this thing. Look, You've all been to the hotel where you open up the drawer and the dusty Gideon Bible is sitting there, usually nowadays with the Mormon Bible stuck on top of it, so that goes in the trash. <laughs> but the Gideon Bible is there, and, and you think to yourself, this is a dusty old book. And that's kind of what it is. I mean, to some extent, this is a dusty old book. It's what is inside of it that's important, the concepts inside of it. The Word of God means the, the Word, the concepts of God that are written down in here that answers so many questions that you probably have about life. Why am I here? Why are we here? Why is this important? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Why is there suffering in the world? What is, is, does science disprove God? You know, all the things that you are thinking, I know you're thinking, this Word of God, collection of the Word of God can help answer that today. And it's really important that you're studying that constantly because it will give you answers. The one thing I'm going to say about this that I really want to get at here is this thing about why we suffer. And, and I know everyone thinks this. Everyone asks this question. If you're an evangelical Christian, you've grown up in the church, you almost get angry when people ask it because you, how dare you at? Why is there suffering? Well, and then there's this long pause, right? <laughs> There's this long pause. Um, If you are a non-believer, this is one of the first things you'll hit a believer with. Well, why is there suffering in the world? How can there be a God? Okay? And it's always like, deep breath, full stop, deep breath, close your eyes. This is what I tell my daughter, Lily. She's impulsive. And she has no self-control whatsoever. And I say, Lily, take a deep breath, close your eyes, and be patient. Okay? This is a perfect example of that. And and the other thing I I like to tell people is that, um, you know, this idea of apologetics, this idea of defending your faith. I don't defend my faith. Um, I believe what I believe because I feel that God has revealed his word to me and through others and through uh, a lot of very smart people has revealed his truth to me, especially directly through direct revelation. 
I share truth. I share truth, and you are absolutely free to believe this or reject it. I don't, I don't want to say I don't care. I do care, but it's on you. It, it, and what I'm here to do is to share truth, and, and I think it's great that you're here, and I think it's great that you, you talk to other Christians. That's what you should be doing. But at the end of the day, you have to decide for yourself. Now, one of the things I don't do is called defending my faith. I never do that. <clears throat> There's nothing to defend. <laughs> um, what I say is I share truth. I share truth through my extensive study of the Word of God and His direct revelation to me. This is what I believe the Word of God is saying <clears throat> through empirical and objective <laughs> observation and experience. Okay, and we talked all about faith versus reason last week and how they're the same thing. But what I'm getting at here is that this is one of those big questions that people ask, and they kind of, you know, this whole thing about. Well, when people debate or they argue, well, the truth is when two different you know, people are debating or arguing something and people are defending something, how often do people change their minds? <laughs> okay, think of the last time you got in an argument on social media with someone who had a very different stance than you on something. Did both of you come to a common understanding and say, thank you for pointing out the flaws in my logic. I will now change my beliefs. That doesn't happen very often, right? My, my philosophy is when you get to the point where you are debating or arguing, you will defend, as a human being, this is human nature, you will defend the most ridiculous, illogical conclusions because it only means I don't have to agree with you. I'm not going to agree with you, Roger Howard. So, look, the earth is flat. <laughs> the earth is flat, right? So that's what I'm getting at here. I don't look at it as defending your faith. You have questions just like they do. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, every human on this planet who has the cognitive ability to ask this question has asked it. Why is there suffering in the world if God exists? Right? If you read the word of God. And again, uh, the other thing I will exhort you about, and we'll talk about that in a minute here, is that this is not a book to be taken one sentence at a time. Okay? <clears throat> just like a scientist won't go into the lab, and I am a scientist, um, <clears throat> My PhD is in plant science. Uh, I've worked for Corteva for 10 years, which is a seed company. Um, I work in their R&D division. Before that, it was a postdoc in the USDA lab. Before that, it was a research fellow with Iowa State. Long story short, I know science. I worked in science. I understand it. <clears throat> I, as a scientist, would never try and publish a paper on one measurement. <laughs> I would not go into my lab, set all the things up, and let's say I'm doing an, a, a test, and so my, my, my PhD is in plant disease. I wouldn't set up an experiment in which I'm gonna inoculate a, um, uh, let's say a tomato plant with the organism that I study, which is Pseudomonas syringi. I would not go into the, the lab, set up all this equipment, get my tomato plant ready, inject that Pseudomonas syringi into the leaf tissue, take one measurement. Okay, let's say in an hour, <laughs> I'm gonna measure, um, in this case, uh, water flow through the leaf tissue, all right? Okay, made a leaf measurement, done. All right, I'm gonna now draw a conclusion. How likely am I to get published <laughs> on my conclusion if I took, eh, you know, <laughs> I take one measurement, draw a whole bunch of conclusions. Look, folks, this is not a document or a set of documents to read one thing and say, case closed. I know the answer. The answer is, you gotta read the whole thing. And look, I'm not saying either that you gotta read the whole thing and then make a conclusion. You're gonna do what I do. You're gonna read passages and you're gonna put them together and you're gonna take all of it together, 
Okay? Now what I tell people is this. I tell people this. When you are studying the word, it's super important that you keep an open mind at all times. Okay? You keep an open mind at all times. Just like if I were to go into my lab and I was going to start measuring, you know, a, a you know, physiological response in a plant to a bacterial pathogen, keeping an open mind the whole time. Why? I don't know everything. I don't know everything. Now, how many people in this room are perfect? She's, she's keeping his hand down. <laughs> You're not God. You're not perfect. You're not in charge of the universe. Everyone you will ever meet knows something you don't. Everyone. Bill Maher, Donald Trump, I'm, I'm being political on purpose. Barack Obama, Joe Biden, right? George Bush. Okay, forget the political things. Think of your enemy at work. Think of your enemy at work, the person you can't stand. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a family member. Everyone you will ever meet knows something you don't. Everyone you will ever meet is right about some things and completely wrong about some things. I'm wrong about some things. I hope you keep me honest in here. I know. She's like. Delete this. Um, you have to keep an open and objective mind at all times. And, and what I kind of, and, and we talked about this last week, and I promise we're going somewhere with this, that science, um, in contrast to what you will read on the news, is a human activity in which truth is defined by current consensus and the current accepted empirical evidence for a conclusion. But no conclusion is ever permanent. Now, you probably have never heard that if you're not a scientist before. And you think science is some kind of magic thing. You put a question in a box, and it comes out with a definitive 100% answer. And that's true. That is not true. And if you go back to, if you, if you weren't here last week, and you go back to my recording, I really encourage you to listen to that Nature of Science talk, because that's not how science works. Science, like this class, is about drawing what I would call current conclusions based on the evidence you have, but always keeping an open mind. Um, our convictions are strong, but how do I say this? Strongly convictions loosely held. Strong convictions loosely held. Now, I know that sounds like heresy if you're a Christian. I know it does. Bear with me. It's super important you keep that mindset. Strong convictions loosely held. Why? Because you don't know everything. We miss the surprises. And aren't the surprises interesting? Yes. And, and that's what I'm getting at. You need to keep an open mind. And the other thing you need to keep an open mind about is that when someone comes to you and they're angry, oh, you're a Christian. Well, why is there suffering in the world? Guess what? Don't treat it as attack. And this is why I say don't treat it as defending your faith. Why? Because that person is questioning you for a reason. Look, I don't know about you. <laughs> I don't believe in astrology. Now, there's a difference between astrology and astronomy. Astrology is the belief that stars and planets and the alignment of those, those heavenly bodies influence life on Earth, right? So, name your astrological sign, Pisces, Aquarius, I'm one or the other, depending on what paper you read. <laughs> uh, 
you know, but depending on that, you can tell all these things about your life and the heavenly bodies are influencing you. I, I think it's complete bunk, okay? Personally, I think it's all hogwash. I am not even willing to spend 10 minutes arguing with someone about it. Why? Because I think it is so stupid and so asinine and obviously so wrong, I'm not even gonna waste my time or my breath arguing with someone about why astrology is wrong. The fact that there are atheists who teach Bible tells me something. Why spend your whole life attacking something that you rejected and you don't believe in? You know why? Why are they doing that? Because they doubt. They doubt, but why? I their doubt. Souls, their souls cry out, really. I mean, they are hurting. They know there's something to it. They know. Why would they defend it for 40, 50 years attacking Christianity if they didn't believe in it? Why bother? Why would I spend my whole career attacking something? The, the point I'm getting at here is that people come to you and they get angry and they say, well, you're a Christian. Why is there suffering in the world? It's because they're hurting. It's a heart thing. And I've said this a hundred times before. It's a heart thing. They are questioning. They want to know the answer. So you've got to take off your big pride clothes. Well, you know, not your real clothes. Take off your pride and take off your anger and take off your defensiveness and say, oh, this is great. You are asking the question because you want to know the answer. And it's coming out as an attack on you, but they want to know. They want to know the answer. Now, what we're going to talk about today and what, what we've just read in here is there is one answer. And again, it's not, it's not the entire answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you. We all went through this text here. Why do people suffer? At least one reason. Why do they suffer? A punishment from God. One is a punishment. Okay. That is one. And um, help us understand <clears throat> what is one reason why someone would be punished or was an example of that. Well, it's... Uh, Kind of build in on the cause and effect. You do one thing, the other. Okay. Okay. And to this author, to this author or set of authors, uh, God disciplines us for our good. Now that's now that's that's a big one, right? So already we've got two answers here. <coughs> already we've got two answers here. Discipline for our own good. Could that be yes and no. Say it again. Well, can it be both a punishment and a discipline, or just a punishment, or just? A this is th my class is black and white. Uh, you know this. I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> kidding, of course. We live in a fallen world, and so we we're separated from God. And it, it isn't necessarily that you've done something specifically bad to deserve leukemia or whatever terrible thing happens to you. It's that. You're separated from God by sin, and that's one of the consequences is death and all the crap that comes with it. I was going to ask you to bring your text today. Do you think you can share with the class what you shared with me yesterday, or do you want me to paraphrase it yeah, by your sure. author? That's fine. So I forget the name of the book now. I think it's called Fall from Eden. And um, anyway, I've been reading it. It's very good. And they were talking about um, Genesis and Eden and how... God designed the world to run a certain way. He designed Adam and Eve to, you know, have a wonderful life. And that is really what his plan for all of us was. But as a consequence of Adam and Eve eating the fruit, now we live in a world that is imperfect. 
because they decided to remake the world in the way they wanted. You know, God set it up a certain way, but then because of sin, now there's death and <coughs> decay and all these things. And so this author was talking about how when there's suffering in the world, even the fact that we ask this question shows that in our hearts we know that God didn't design us for suffering. He didn't design us to have people get cancer or tsunamis or like hunger. God didn't design us for that. And that just the fact that we even know that that's wrong is because we weren't designed that way in the first place. And I just thought that was really interesting. Well, that's why when we go to heaven, all that is taken care of. A step in eternity. That's fixed. And for the Christian, death is the ultimate healing. Exactly. I mean, Eden, Eden was the plan. And, and I had a conversation this week with someone about how, um, but did God know that, and I didn't use this terminology, uh, that it would, it would not go well? Yeah, he knew it wouldn't go well. Uh, he, you think it was a surprise? He gave us, he designed us in his image. <clears throat> that means we have, we have choice. Yes. He didn't design us as a bunch of little puppets. He didn't sit up there in heaven and say, oh, I want all these people to worship me, so I'm going to make little mannequins to worship me. He no. already had angels. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Who at some point may have also been given the choice and a third of them rebel. And look, it's a bell curve, right? Now, again, I, I'm very sciencey, obviously, for a lot of reasons. Um, choices are like, you know, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, let, let's say, uh, and, and I'm going to come up with a terrible answer here, um, but let's say, you know, I call it, let's just call it belief to start with. You know, here's strong Christian belief. I'll just say Christian. Belief in Jesus, right? And belief in the gospel. Okay. And we'll say no belief. If you were to examine a hundred people or a thousand people and you, and you um, gave them a survey, and you said, how strong is your belief or conviction that the gospel is true and what's written in the word of God is true? Um, this is a great example of there is no black or white, right? It's, it's a gradient. 20% right off the bat, I would hope, would say, absolutely, 100% believe everything that is written in the word of God. It's true. I have experienced it. 20% will say, it's crap. I don't believe in it. I don't feel there's any evidence. I reject it wholly. And then you're going to get well, how much is left? 60%. So this is 20, 20, 20, 60. 60% are somewhere in the middle, right? It's an example. <laughs> this just goes to show when you have free choice and free will, you will probably get people that will choose anything. How many people would choose to go to Mars on a SpaceX rocket tomorrow, given their track record, right? Well, and don't get me wrong, I think we're going to go to Mars someday if this keeps going. But I think there's going to be a lot of people who say, I'll jump on the next SpaceX ship and go. Well, I think they're going to blow up <laughs> for a while. Now, this, again, if, if Elon is listening, I believe in you, brother. I think we're going to get there. But he's not putting humans on him yet for a reason. He wants to make them work first. But I think there are people that would choose to go on the next one and see if it works, right? Then there's probably, it's probably higher than this, people who, I'm never going to Mars. I don't care how safe it is and reliable it is. Okay, we get, we, I think we have some others too, right? And then there's some people in the middle. Well, I'll see how it goes. You have free will. You have choice. You can choose. Now, let's, let's say here, this isn't about belief. This is about 
choosing activities that can cause harm to yourself or others. This is 100% of your you know, actions inflict harm. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just say, no actions for harm. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna caveat this by saying, just because you don't think it'll cause a problem doesn't mean it does. But I'm gonna just ask you, think about your life in the past month. How many times did you choose an activity or an action for yourself that you knew, you knew there could be a, a risk of a problem? Maybe you smoked a cigarette. Look, I know I'm not, again, I'm not bashing on your lifestyle here. I'm, bear with me, I'm making a point. How, when did you drink alcohol? Did you take a drug? Remember, even if you take prescription medication, all medication has side effects, risk of side effects. That is a potential risk. How many times did you cut someone off in traffic because they pissed you off? How many times did you bash someone on social media because you didn't like their opinion? How many times did you have unprotected sexual activity with somebody not wanting to get an STD or pregnant? You see where I'm going with this? And again, I'm not making any moral judgment about you or any of this. Is there a possibility your action could have harmed someone, yourself or others, right? Now, I think again, you will find something like this, right? Something like this, where there's probably no such thing when you get out to the outside. Nicole can help me on this. It's probably zero, right? It's, it's so infinitesimally small, there's really no such thing as someone who really literally picked nothing that could harm someone and no one that picked something, everything that could harm someone. Folks, you are a human being in a fallen world in which there is consequences for your actions and there are risks for your actions. Now, like statistics, you roll the dice when you smoke a cigarette. You may not get lung cancer. My grandpa died at 61 of lung cancer. He never smoked a day in his life. As far as I know, and I've done a lot of research on this, he was a house painter, but there's still no conclusive evidence that lead-based paint can cause lung cancer. I don't know where it came from. It could have been radon, who knows. Now, I have people in my family who have smoked cigarettes every day for 60 years, 60 years, and they still have no lung cancer. You roll the dice when you choose an activity that could harm you or someone else, but you live in a world in which harm can happen. Why do people suffer? Because you live in a world that you chose. And this is, this is what Laura is getting at here. How, I, and, I, and I told her, this is the example I wanted to do. I wanted to put a you know, uh, thing on everyone's desk, and this is an imaginary thing, but everyone's got a thing face down on their desk, and I'm gonna say, okay, who is responsible in the Garden of Eden for choosing sin and rejecting God? Now, how many of you would say Adam or Eve? Just raise your hand. How many of you would say that? I would have. And then I would say, okay, I want you to see the face of Adam and Eve and lift up your thing, and it's a mirror. You chose this world because you wanted to do it your way. Now, you're pissed at me right now, probably, and you're saying, I hate you, and I don't believe what you have to say. This is another warning about my class. I know it is. I know it's hard to hear that. You chose rebellion, Dan Custis. Steve Cruz, you chose to reject God. You did. Because you thought you could do it better. You thought this was your world and you're in control, or you wanted to be in control, and you're going to do it your way. Fine. But you've got to leave Eden until you get right with God. 
Did God know that was going to happen? You better believe it. He knew it was going to happen because he set the whole world up in preparation for a world in which sin would be apparent and evident. You would have free will. You are not a robot. And he knew there was such a thing as bell curves. Okay? On a we bell curve for choice. Say it again. We have to learn to choose too. Or yes. He didn't want little babies yes. all the time. We had, he had, we have to grow up and learn to choose. Yes. He didn't want just yeah you to be fed something at some point. He you know this is why you have Drink a bar mitzvah. Yeah. Just just go along with everything. That's strongly convictions loosely held. For an angel, what is this? And there's thirty percent here, right? You are not an angel. You are not a robot. You're not programmed to either choose right or choose wrong. You are programmed to seek what is right and wrong. And God said, you're kicked out of Eden because of it. And I know every single one of you is going to choose. You chose this world. Why is there suffering in the world? Because that's what you chose. And I know it's hard for you to hear that. Why do kids, innocent kids suffer? To which I would say, and you would probably guess, <coughs> There are no innocent people. There are no innocent people. You failed, John. Hey, leave now. No, please don't. This is so a room God failure. put the fruit in the garden, perhaps, because God could have chosen to not put any fruit in the garden and not give us a choice. And this goes down the rabbit hole of, you know, what's God's role in all of this, right? And, and I think it's best for, for today to not... Yeah, I think the point is there are always going to be choices in our midst which God says, because you have free will, even if he did it for the angels, and we do believe it's biblical, at some point the angels were given a choice or will be given a choice, and a third of them will fall away. Once you give beings, conscious living beings, a choice, some will choose something that could harm themselves or others. Now, in the, and this is very deep, and it's theological, what is sin, it's separation, it's choosing to separate yourself from God. In Eden, we were in perfect communion with God. And that's the model. That's the model for a Christian, is to say, at some point, you are going to be reconciled back to Eden. If you choose to be reconciled with Christ, if you choose to accept who Christ was, and if you read 1 John, it means you're living in your faith. It's not just a belief is an active, living path that you are taking. If you choose to actively believe and follow Jesus and be obedient to him, then you will be reconciled back to Eden in perfect communion with your God. How many of you guys want to be reconciled with God and live in Eden for all eternity? And to which I also say, Let's say you're still like, Brian, you're full of crap. I don't believe any of this. Well, here's your options. Here's your options. And, and it's so funny because my high school math teacher was a, was a devout Christian, and he did his best walking that line between telling the gospel and, you know, keeping his job. Keeping his job. <laughs> he said, you know what? And there had been a death in the school, a student body. He said, you have two options in life. You have two options. You can choose to accept it. If you choose to accept it, what's the harm that can come? Let's say you're wrong. 
Let's say all the mountain of evidence that's written in the Word and all of your personal experience was completely wrong, and I still say that's crap, but let's say it's wrong, and you die, and there is nothing. Well, then what did you lose? <laughs> what did you lose? You lived a good life. You had communion with your fellow brothers and sisters. You felt the confidence of grace and joy that comes with believing the gospel and living with peace. You walked around with a mask on your face over the past year, but said, it doesn't matter, folks. It doesn't matter. I have hope. I have hope, and I have light. How is that such a bad thing? But if you're right, you get to enjoy Eden for all eternity. Now, what if you reject it? What if you reject it? And you're right. Well, okay. That's kind of what most people who reject it think. What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? You have nothing to lose. And this is the gospel message. You have nothing to lose by accepting it. Nothing. Nothing. I think one of the motivations you, you asked about atheism, yeah. I think one of the motivations of an atheist, I almost call what they believe a religion, um, and it's partly motivated by fear. Yeah. And it's a fear of what if I'm wrong, so I have to prove that yeah. I'm right. I have to prove that there is no God, that there is no Christianity. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm screwed, and I yeah. don't want to believe that. I love that answer. I think that's true. I, I do. I do. And I hate Christian. And look, I'm going to be honest with you right now. I've had this conversation, too, recently. <laughs> How many crappy Christians are there in the world? Well, there's a few. How many crappy Democrats are there? How many crappy scientists are there? How many crappy accountants are there? I mean, just name your category, folks. <laughs> Yes, the Spanish Inquisition was fought by people who claimed to be Christian. There's nothing Christian about the Spanish Inquisition. The Holy Crusades, there was zero gospel in the Holy Crusades, zero. And the people that fought it were using religion as a tool to raise money and fight people that were different from them. But you know what? Having a group of people who are wrong about something does not invalidate their category automatically. Or all of us would be wrong, right? All of us would be wrong. A lot of the reason why people are angry, there's a whole spectrum of reasons, is because maybe a Christian pissed them off, or maybe their mom was a Christian and they didn't like that. That's one category. Maybe they had a rough life. Maybe they have a broken family. I do believe there's a high correlation between rejecting the gospel and having a broken family. Wealth is highly correlated with rejecting the gospel. Why? You don't need it. I'm good. Power. It's highly correlated with rejecting the gospel. So this isn't today about rejecting. And again, I, I'm making a kind of a big deal about this. And really, I don't know, you know, the NIV that I have, you know, they like to go in and they like to add sub, subheading titles. If you're looking at chapter 12, maybe yours kind of in the middle says something about warning against refusing God. Well, that's crap. I, the NIV, sorry, bless your hearts, NIV people. This was a bad title. I think it should have been something about confidence in approaching God. And this is the next piece I want to talk about. The author goes through this thing about, you, verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that essentially can't be touched, or that is burning with fire and darkness and gloom. 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Tell me for you folks in the class that know, what is the author talking about in that? What's the contrast there? Well, when the Israelites were in the Exodus, they went to... Sinai, and when 
um, Moses went to the top to meet with God, um, there was fire and lightning and God told them, don't go near the mountain, don't yep. touch it, or you will die. Yep. Here's all the people. Moses, he's not getting hit by lightning, but he's up there. You got the Ten Commandments. You got all the, the Hebrews down here. This is this is Exodus, folks. This is this is ex and then, you know, of course, a little bit of uh, uh, Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy, but this is this is what happened in the old system. The old system, and the author of Hebrews, again, what I asked in this class is I want you to identify who, what was the kind of person who's the author here. What kind of person was the author of Hebrews? And the title gives it away. A Hebrew. A Hebrew. See, I ask easy questions. I give you softballs. He was a Jew who grew up, obviously, or, or they, it's probably a group of people, grew up believing in Judaism, but at some point heard the gospel and believed it. And now are trying to, and we'll talk about this, exhort his fellow Jews, Jewish Christians, to keep believing in the gospel. Don't reject it. The old system, based on the law, here was a law of separation. You are kicked out of Eden for a reason. Because you broke your relationship. You chose to break your relationship with God. And so you're out. You're kicked out. Here. There are cause and effect, consequences for your choices. You're out of Eden. The model here is the whole priestly system. And, and this comes down to what was still, and if you read, again, present tense, priests, Offering sacrifices in the temple, so this is probably pre-70 AD. Temple still exists. Jerusalem is intact. You can't go to God directly in the old system. You have to rely on an intermediary because you are sinful and you have broken the covenant with God. You need someone who can act as an intermediary to reconcile you. And I know I use a lot of religious words here. Reconcile, you know what that means. The prodigal son, maybe you have a, a... son or daughter or a parent or family member who has gone their own separate way, you haven't talked to them in a long time, reconciliation is one of those great things. They come back. They come back. And you can be reconciled. You can, you can be reconnected with that person in a loving relationship. That is the goal. That is the goal of Eden. Right? But in this old system, the Old Testament, there was a separation. A priest had to act on your behalf. He went before God in the most holy place, and so we've got our temple. This is a top view, you know, in Jerusalem. <clears throat> Again, there's many layers here. Long story short, you have this holy of holies with the Ark of the Covenant, and this is a top view. So um, <clears throat> only once a year, only once a year could the high priest go in, go in through this curtain, and commune with God, and there was this whole elaborate set of sacrifices. There was a bull, a, a ram, and two goats. One goat was let go, the scapegoat. But all of those other animals were slaughtered, their blood shed, to pay a price. Pay a price for the people of Israel and their sins and the rejection of God. And for a whole year after that, so we call it Yom Kippur today, but it's the Day of, of Atonement, Most Holy Day, you were right with God as a people again. Your sins were forgiven, and you, could, you, you bought another year. It's like, how many of you grew up in the 80s and you put those quarters into the, into the arcade games, right? <sighs> Good old days. <laughs> anyway, what happens? You put a quarter, two quarters in, and you get to play your game, and after a while, you lose, and you have to put more quarters in. This was the Day of Atonement. You had to keep putting quarters in the darn machine for it to keep going. 
Now, contrast all of that with that second piece. What is the author saying in verse 22 now? What happened to all of this? It's all gone except for one critical piece, the idea of an intermediary, because you are still sinful and corrupt. And God has said, I cannot be in the presence of sin. He has said that. If God can't be in the presence of sin, you still need an intermediary. Who is that intermediary? Jesus. Thank God. Jesus has been transformed, this new covenant, which is poorly translated testament, this new testament is now Christ. Christ, the Messiah, chose to be a human so that he would have no excuse. He had the same temptations you do. He had the same struggles. He had to eat every day. He could stub his toe. (laughs) Right? He got... (laughs) humiliated by other humans all the time. I think back on him, and I'm like, if he wasn't Jesus, he, I wouldn't have done that. Gosh, he faced so much criticism for what when he said. Talk, when you talked about like, you know, people coming up to you and trying to argue with yeah. you, how many times have people come up and try to argue with Jesus and try to trip him up and make him... It's the entire New Testament. You know, exactly. Yeah. It's like, like every... Holy vey, right? Christ. And Christ is the perfect priest. And we made this comment, too. He's still the intermediary, but he's perfect. Perfect. Remember I said about the, um, there was a bull, a bull and a ram. They, they died for the propitiation of God's wrath against the, the priests and against the people as a, as a sin offering, a burnt offering. Then there was that, the goats, the two goats. <clears throat> One goat, and it was picked by, a, by Lot, so it was a random chance. So essentially, you know, in this thing, God chose. There's two, two possible sacrifices through a lot or a lottery, God chose one. Gosh, what does that sound like? And the other was set free. The other was set free, the scapegoat. The sins of the, of the people were put on that scapegoat and he was let free. But that, that lamb or that um, goat, or goat in this case that was killed was supposed to be um, blameless. It was supposed to be the most perfect one that they had. Um, they would kill it, the blood would be spilled. The point here is that All of that is still true, but it came through Christ and his sacrifice. The author is saying, look, I'm going to give you one more quarter. (laughs) You get one more quarter. And guess what? This is the last quarter you're ever going to need. And you can be reconciled. Now, what I still find amazing, and I understand it because I was here too, is that how many people get that quarter and throw it in the trash? How many in this room have thrown that quarter in the trash at one point in their life? Be honest. Y'all have, whether you know it or not. Some people do it and they never get it back out. Thank, thank God that some of us did. You have one quarter left and you can do that and it will, it will propitiate or satisfy God's wrath for all eternity and Christ will now be your intermediary. He can help you reconcile with God. You're reconciled. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and you are living your faith, not just believing, but living your faith through your actions, you are reconciled with God, your creator. This is what, again, I say the big guns of of Hebrews, this is it. The author is trying to drive this point home. This is the final answer. And look, even if you don't believe this, 
if you're a Jew, you know, of the, of the period, or even today, you're like, you have to admit at some point, this is really hard to do. It's futile. It never ends. It never ends. It's never enough. What do you want? Do you want to keep doing this thing which is imperfect? And again, why did the bull get sacrificed? It's because the priest is also sinful. So you got this guy, this imperfect guy who's trying to be your intermediary with God, but he's sinful. So he has to kill a bull first just to make all this work. And then and only then can he, you know, kill the goat and then your sins are, are, are um, satisfied. But that only lasts for a year and then you got to do it all over again. This is one and done. And again, doesn't mean once saved, always saved. It means if you have a living faith with Christ, your creator, you're good. You're good. What comments or questions do you have about that? I said I wouldn't talk the whole time. I'm like, it's almost 10. So. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we do this? Why don't we read the last chapter? It's short, concluding remarks. And then we'll just sum it all up. Who would like to read Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 25? I can read that. So I just. Uh, <coughs> there we go. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and a desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, and to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I have written to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. 
Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. Excellent. Thank you very much. Excellent. Real quick word. Exhortation. What does exhortation mean? It means to be hortatory. And you're like, why are you telling me this? What the heck does that mean? It means to encourage or rebuke. Um, obviously, you could probably derive that. Um, sermons tend to be hortatory or exhortious. What questions or comments do you have about this? There's a lot in there. What's going on in the church of the first century? Why is the author writing about this? Obviously, there's a meaning behind it. Well, there's people trying to go back to the old ways. Yep. And not accepting the new way. And even, or comes to my mind is when Peter, when I went in that trance and God brought mm-hmm. down the sheep yeah. with the animals and stuff and told him to rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, I'll never, Lord, I'll never anything unclean or common. And he's like, don't call anything common. I declare clean. How hard is it to not go back to the old ways, right? And he had to come back to this, the, the circumcision and tell him the same thing. Like, you went to the Gentiles, you ate with them. And he's like, no, I'll tell you about this vision I had. And then they ended up praising God. Now that the Holy Spirit, you know, the, the Gentiles have the same access to salvation as we do. You know, it's funny because this is not a snap. This is a snapshot. This is a snapshot. If you were to ask any human being... You might get a, a placement on here. Do they really believe it or not? Ask them later. Ask them in 10 years. People change. What did, what did Peter do? He went all the way from, let's say, um, <clears throat> follow the law 100% to grace, covers the law. He started here, went way over here, and guess what? After Jesus left, he came back a little bit. <laughs> right? And Paul had to bring back. Humans are action item. Remember, human beings are human. It takes them time. Be patient with them. They are moving on the needle just like you are. What else do you get from this? Real love produces tangible actions. <clears throat> okay. It just starts right off with uh, hospitality, yep. empathy, and fidelity, and contentment. Yep. So if he's, if he's exhorting people to be hospitable, to be sexually pure, and to be good to their neighbors, especially the, uh, the uh, imprisoned, what does that say is going on in the first century? All those things are happening. That's right. They're not ha- they're right? Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep, 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 yep. Excellent. What else? What are you going to do here? What is your action? So this is great. Wow, very esoteric, Brian. Thank you for that insightful look into the first century. Now what? <laughs> now what? I think it's, it's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment thing. And uh, we live in our mortal bodies. That, and we have this uh, war going on inside our, our minds and our bodies and our souls. we got our flesh and we have our spirit that God's given us. And we haven't arrived yet. And we've got to continue to fight against temptation and uh, lift one another up to encouragement and pray for each other and you know and it's not a checkbox, it's not one and done. It's a continual process. We gotta work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And uh, a lot of times I forget about that. You know, it's just I, I do God in the morning and then okay I gotta get the rest of my day. Oh yeah, for, you know and uh, it's a constant reminder. Ah, you know, we make up words in here. 
irregardless. <laughs> well, you know, miss underestimates. <laughs> okay. I have no idea what we're doing next week. Uh, I got to come up with something. We have a week. Uh, we already did James, worked our way backwards. So uh, I'll, I'll come up with a lesson plan. But uh, thank you for joining us for Hebrews. I think this has been really good. And we'll see you next week.